I'll start with a simple question today. In the scripture we are reading, and already in several comments that were made, we talked about the Lord's return. If right as I was speaking now, the trumpet blast came. Does that cause you to have a little anxiety? Or do you go like, finally? What is your reaction in your heart to that news? You know, there will be somebody preaching a sermon somewhere on that day. And right in the middle of it, the trumpet will blast. Does that cause your heart to rise up in joy? Or does dread settle upon your spirit at that thought? If you're one who has dread resting in your heart, then my question to you is, what has your heart? Now, if your first thought was to a lost family member or to a lost neighbor, of the tragedy that that would be to them, then amen, brother, you've got it right. But if your first thought was, but wait, I've got some other things to do. I've got this project I'm trying to finish. Or I've got this deal I'm trying to do at work. Or I've got this, I want to get married, Lord, before you show up. If that was the thought, or others, I would ask you again, what has your heart? Don't you think it will be better when he comes back than it is now? Do you really believe that? I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and help me with something that's a little bit different. And we'll uh, ask for your participation and your patience. Okay, I'm going to let you share those. I don't fall off of here. All right, if you two gentlemen can share that box, you two gentlemen share that box, and I'm going to give you some of these pens. And I'd like at least each family to have one Ziploc bag and each family to have a pen. If you can work together for that, that'd be great. So the question today is what has our hearts? And this rather unorthodox start to our message will help us with an illustration. Each family, at least one? Just one? At least one. They can have more if they want. Now, you're wondering, what are these doing with these Ziploc bags? Does he want us to fill them up with all our money? <clears throat> no, not that, but probably something almost as dear to your heart. As you receive this Ziploc bag and this pen, what I'm going to ask you to do is to put your cell phones in them. Please put your names on the bag. And I'm going to ask for everyone to please deposit the bags with your cell phones in this box. We're going to leave this box up front. Nobody will steal your phone. And because it's in that bag with your name on it, nobody's going to come up and claim your iPhone and leave you with one of my phones. That's not going to happen. Because I want you to think about 
What has your heart? You're welcome to bring those up anytime you like. And I'll go ahead and uh, throw mine in. Now, as you do that, I'm going to share a couple of stories with you. And by the way, I cheated. I kept my second phone because I want to use it as an illustration. I had the opportunity to work with a young man about a year and a half ago. He grew up in a Christian home, and he was a very gifted musician. He was a pianist. And he was such a gifted musician, he had won a place in one of the most prestigious music schools in the United Kingdom. And he had a bright future ahead of him. But once he got into that elite training, he found the pressure immense, more challenging than anything he'd ever experienced before in his life. And it was, he didn't know what to do. The assignments began to pile up. Things became more difficult by the day. And he kept looking for a way to get relief. And then one day, he came across the idea, I think I will play a video game to relieve myself of some of this stress. And so he went online and he started to play a game called the World of Warcraft. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that before. And it's a multiplayer game. So you go on, you create yourself a persona, and you join this group. They're all people, but they're a representation of a character there. And I will thank you all for doing that very efficiently. That's quite a collection of phones. (laughs) And he found relief. He could escape into this world, join with his friends, conquer worlds, overcome evil, and get some sense of respite. Until he stopped playing, of course, and then he had to go back to the homework he had and the activities he had, and he was even further behind. And the stress began to mount further and further, which caused him to want to seek relief more and more. And so he began to spend more and more time playing World of Warcraft and less time doing his work, which made his problem only worse and worse. Finally, he developed a relationship with someone that he was in the group with. They were just an avatar, not a real person as far as he was concerned, but there really was a real person out there somewhere. And they said, let's get together and meet. So they met. And then they moved in together. Then his schooling began to go further down and he eventually flunked out of school. And then they had their first child out of wedlock. Then they had their second child out of wedlock. And then an unusual thing happened. This girl got so fed up with his worthlessness, she kicked him out. He didn't want to work. He didn't want to do anything except play games. Because any time he ran across something now that was stressful to him, he would run to the escape 
of a place where he felt like he was accomplishing things without any effort, and he could have friends any time that would never judge him. And that's where I met him. He was homeless and separated from his children and his girlfriend and didn't know what to do next. As I began to talk with him about his life, um, I tried to encourage him to go back to his parents to restore the relationship that was broken with them and to seek the Lord. It was difficult because his life was turmoil and anxiety. But ultimately, he took my counsel. It was really, really difficult for him. But we arranged for him to go back and spend four days with his parents and um, see that relationship healed. But it didn't work. He went, but his parents were busy. So they had responsibilities. And they didn't really have any time to spend with him. And after four days, he left and came right back to the middle of the mess he'd always been in. And I looked at that situation, and I had been in contact with his parents before he went, saying, please spend time with him. Help him bridge this difficult thing of coming back to you. And they said, oh, yes, we want to do that. Um, But when it actually came to him being there, they just fell back in their old habits of they were busy. He was there. Soon he was on the Internet. And that's how he spent his four days, is on the Internet. And they spent their four days doing what they normally do, and nothing changed. So this young man had lost his heart to video games on the Internet. But the real tragedy was he didn't have his father's heart. Even in the midst of all this turmoil and stress and difficulty and destruction in his life, Though his dad did care about him, he didn't have his dad's heart. And so, fathers, I ask you, what has your heart? In Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it says that God the Lord will send Elijah, the prophet, and that before that great and awesome day of the Lord, to turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children and then the hearts of the children toward their fathers. It doesn't say about the mothers, although I think maybe today there are some mothers who need their hearts turned toward toward their children, but there's probably something about the birthing process that keeps mothers connected to their children. They've got a pretty heavy investment. Dads are the ones who seem to get distracted by all the things that are on their plate. And I would say that uh, right now, one of the great distractions of life is encompassed by these devices. That's one reason I ask you to turn them in. I just want you to feel what it's like to be without it for a short period of time. Do you feel uncomfortable at all not having it there, even for an hour? There was a group of college students in Canada 
that they did an experiment with. They asked them to go 24 hours without... Um, I'm going to walk around a little bit. Is that okay? They asked them to go for 24 hours without using technology or any media. They were paying the money. So no cell phones, no internet, no iPods, no digital music, no videos, no computers, nothing for 24 hours. Could you take the challenge? Does that sound easy to you? 70% of them could not make it. 24 hours. And when the psychiatrist came in and did the post-event survey, they found out that those students were going through withdrawal symptoms, heart palpitations, sweats, nervousness, all these types of things, the same as if they had gone cold turkey off of crack cocaine because they were so wired into digital media. They couldn't stand not to have it. There's another story of a young man who he was um, with his dad. That's a good thing because a lot of young men don't have dads. So this young man had a dad, and his dad was an executive. And this executive, of course, is a very busy man, and they decided they would have a father and son night. So they were going to have a movie, sitting on the sofa, father and son together, thigh to thigh. Can't get any more father and son than that. Watching a movie together. But of course, the dad, being a very, very busy man, felt enormous pressure from all the things that were piling up that he could not attend to. And so he brought his Blackberry along. So as he sat on the sofa with his son, uh, watching the movie, he was just kind of, you know, skimming through his inbox on his Blackberry, trying to take off and knock a few things off so that things wouldn't pile up too much while he's taking his time off with his son. And in his mind, he was doing a good thing. He's multitasking. We all like to multitask, right? So he's multitasking and He's spending quality time with his son and he's knocking off a few things on his inbox and everything's good. After this evening, there's a lady who's a PhD in psychiatry. Her name is, um, escapes me now, I'll tell you later. (laughs) She works at MIT and her job is to study the interface between humans and computers. And she's always looking how people are using technology. And so she interviewed this young man and said, how was your night with your dad? And the son said, it was the most intensely lonely experience I've ever had. I would have been better if my dad had stayed in the office because his body was with me, but he wasn't with me. As a father, the first time I read that, it wrenched my heart. because I've done similar things with my children. And I hope you haven't. But there's good news. You can repent. We'll look in Luke chapter 1, verse 17 for just a moment because they quote Malachi.
And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now there's a change here. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Isn't it interesting the change that they made to that quote of the verse? Now I don't know that it necessarily means that all children are just disobedient. I really do think there's a possibility that what you're talking about there is that when fathers' hearts are turned toward their children, those who are seeing around us, they're convicted when we do it right. And we also have a place to speak when we do it right. And the disobedient receive wisdom from the just. This is bigger than just me or you or even your family. This is our families and all those around us that we have influence over. Who has your heart? Right now, on these devices, we use them as if they're presented to us. I'd say in many respects we're naive. They're with us all the time. Do you ever take it to the bed? Actually, a majority of people keep one by their bedside now. Do you take it to the bathroom? I've traveled internationally quite a bit, and I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people conducting business deals in the stall. What is it that we can't be without this every moment of our existence? Some of it is work. We have to work. Scripture says we're to work and to work hard to provide for our families. But I would say there's something beyond work now, and there is an ethos of busyness. If you're busy, you're important. And we need to be connected. Now, it used to be when I was a youngster, that was probably a long time ago, that doctors would go around with pagers or things like this because they needed to be connected. If you had a medical emergency, a doctor needed to be able to be gotten a hold of. And then perhaps a paramedic or somebody like that. They were on call to be available at moment's notice. Occasionally a police officer might be in the same circumstance, but not a school librarian. or a sanitation worker, or a secretary. But that's the case now. Many of us operate as if we must be online 24-7. We have to be available to our work colleagues and our classmates and our friends all the time. There are people who hold jobs that there's nothing in their contract that says you must be on call 24-7. But we still carry devices that allow us to interact with email, receive messages, and interact with our colleagues 
around the clock. When was the last time you went on vacation with one of these devices? Just so things wouldn't stack up too much. Part of this comes from a desire to be irreplaceable, to be powerful, to be crucial. The idea that we can unplug and not be accessible for a period of time causes us to fear that we'll fall behind. We won't have the influence that we had and perhaps we'll be replaced. There's also a matter of power. Nietzsche said, anything that gives more power to man is good. Of course, he hated God. He wasn't a very wise man. I saw that quote for the first time in a computer catalog years ago to sell a computer. Anything that puts more power in the hands of man is good. Now we carry the equivalent of what used to be considered a supercomputer in our pocket. And we can watch the stock market. We can get information that was never dreamed of at a moment's notice. And we are hungry for information and power. More and more our systems move towards omniscience, artificial omniscience. We all desire to be like God. We want to be in control and know everything and control everything. And we want to use, this helps us to do that. Then there's the pleasure seekers among us. We want relief from the stress. So we have games on our phones that we while away the hours with to help us feel less stressful. Or we engage in uh, consuming illicit material on the device. The mobile phone's been the biggest distributor of pornography in the history of man. It's made it basically in Proverbs, it talks about the young man who should be wary of the wanton woman who's at the street corner. Well, now she's in your pocket. In our desire to escape in videos and music, we carry around with us our own universe of entertainment. I was talking to a group of high schoolers uh, a week ago, and I mentioned something that caused them all to get a quizzical look on their face. I said, you know, you used to have to buy music you didn't like. And they got this, like, what? Who would force you to buy music you didn't like? I said, well, before digital music, you had to buy these things called records to get the one or two songs you wanted, and you ended up with ten songs you didn't want. But that's just how it was done. And says, now, who here would ever buy a song you don't like? Anybody? No hands. And they kept looking at me very strangely. Do you have any videos that you don't like? Probably not. Do you make Facebook friends with people you don't like? No. Do you text with people you don't like? No. And you see us walking around with the earbuds in our ears, listening to our own personal soundtrack as we go through life. And we create a little bubble around ourselves of just what we like. And if you fit inside my universe, you're welcome because I'm God here 
and I decide what comes in and what comes out. And I'm leveraging technology every way I can to build a universe where there's no pain for me, no discomfort, and nothing I don't like any way I can. Dads, what has your heart? I'm going to confess to you one of my sins. And I hope you haven't been guilty. But if you have, I hope you'll do what I did, which is repent. I, uh, I have an iPhone. It's got my emails and it's got my tech blogs and all those things on it. And uh, I work from home, so I'm around my wife and children a fair amount. But I came out to a meal, and it was my habit to bring the phone to the table, and I was very good. I'd always put it face down right next to me. And as we would talk at the table and interact together, of course, there's always a lull in the conversation or something's going on. And so I would reflexively reach over and look at my phone. What emails came in just now? What messages did I get? And I just turn it back over and re-engage with the family. See, I'm multitasking, keeping up with things. Then, of course, if the children start to act up, I'll let my wife take care of that. And uh, while she's busy with them, I'll just read one of my tech blogs here because, you know, I've got a lot of information to keep up with. And then when she's got them kind of settled down, I'll uh, re-engage with the family. And in my ignorance, I thought that was fine. I'm having family time. What I didn't realize was the message I was sending to my wife and my children was, you bore me. You can't keep my attention for 30 minutes. And it's too painful for me to sit here and spend time with you without having some relief from my boredom. And so I must bring my device to the table so that I'm not subjected to even a second of boredom. That's one of the great sins, you know, nowadays. Boredom. How dare you bore me? Now, Along with this bubble that we construct, our technology creates a bubble around us as well. There's a book out called The Filter Bubble. And you can go on Google and start looking for things. And Google uh, works the results to give you what they think you want to know. The more you search, the more they know about you. And it's even gotten to the point now to where we could be in this room. You can look up something. I can look up something. We might get different answers. Facebook does the same thing. Your news feed, they have an algorithm that filters it. The more things you click on, we'll get more of those things. Things you don't click on, you get less of them. And pretty soon, you get excluded from a whole range of information and knowledge. What would church look like if we were able to create the church of me? I dare say some of you wouldn't be here. You probably are not my ideal candidates. Do you talk tech talk? 
But what does that do? Well, there's another name for this little universe I've created. It's called isolation. And you know that the worst criminals are placed in solitary confinement in prison. It's considered one of the worst punishments you can do to anyone. In some cases, it could even be considered a torture. And yet voluntarily we do it to ourselves. We isolate ourselves from the people in our lives and the people that we would come to meet every day because we just can't be bothered with the uncertainty, the pain, the stress that comes from interacting with people. And so we move back into our bubble, our isolation, and live our lives. Fathers, what has your heart? In Deuteronomy 11, let's go there. I think you've all memorized this. Starting in verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. I think, I don't know if I can pronounce the word right, but they used to call it phylacteries. They placed these little things on the wrist and on their eyes. Well, I would say that this is the new phylactery. It's in our hand all the time. It's before our eyes all the time. But it doesn't give us God's word. That's not where we're going to it for. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You'll write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is the important part. That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord has swore to give to your fathers, to give to them. Now, very important implication there. God has entrusted us first to have his word before us. Much like the kings of Israel who would charge to write out by hand a copy of God's word so they were intimately familiar with it so that it would guide all their judgments as king. God's word is supposed to be before our eyes and in our hearts so that we're equipped to share it with our children. But there's a reason. God wants to bless them with it. 
What happens when you fail to do that? Well, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us plainly, if you don't do this, I will come and cause a decree of utter destruction. We see examples in Genesis chapter 19, and I won't go into the details, but we have the case of Lot and his daughters. And there, Lot had protected his daughters physically. They were physically pure and chaste. Scripture tells us that. But in that dark situation in chapter 19, we see how the girls reason. And they're thinking just like the streets of Sodom. Raised in a believing home by at least one parent, But there was something that didn't happen. Somebody didn't teach them the Lord's ways. We also see this with Abraham when the angels come to visit him and tell him that he's going to have a son and then says they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he enters into this famous bargain with them. And he gets it down to 10 people. Lord, if there's only 10 righteous there, will you spare the city? And he says, yes, I'll do that. Of course, we know that he was bargaining for Lot. But Lot, if we recall, had a large household. That's the reason he and Abraham broke up to start with. Because they had such large households, they kept bumping into each other. How many people? Are represented here. Well, we see in uh, chapter 14 of Genesis that Abraham had at least 318 trained men in his household. That's probably not counting some of the shepherds and their wives and their children. If you were to do that, probably his extended household was a thousand people or more. It's quite an enterprise. And very likely, Lot's household was a similar size. If that's true, then Lot only needed to have influenced 1% of his household and there would have been no destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he didn't. He didn't train them. He didn't teach them. He didn't influence them at all. And the cities were destroyed and his daughters were subject to the degradation and sin that they engaged in as well. Fathers, what has your heart? Is it the things that's on your phone? Some of you may be thinking, I am so busy. I have a business to run. I have work to do. I have a commute to make. I have so many things on my plate. So I would point us to Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. 
Behold, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens and the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them and you above all people as you are this day. I don't think anybody's going to be busier than God. I think he's got a lot going on. And yet he purposed to set his heart on these sinful people to deal with them and to love them and to teach them. And he's asking you dads to be like him. It's to purpose to do that. One of the questions is, what is hindering? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, go there for just a moment. Um, Verse 5. Paul speaking about the church at Corinth and working with them. And he says this, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Gentlemen, that's the answer. If you're finding that your heart is captured by something other than your children, you need to be like the Corinthians here and first give yourself to the Lord. And the question is, what's hindering from that? Is there some sin or activity that you don't want to get rid of? Is there something this phone is facilitating that you don't want to live without. One statistic I read recently said that cell phones are referenced in about 30% of all divorces because this ends up being device of illicit communications. Uh, Apple has caused a number of divorces with their uh, notifications that pop up on your screen because many people have had the phone sitting on the table and a text comes from an illicit partner and the wife or the husband sees it and that's the first information they had that there was something illicit going on. Facebook has also been implicated in many divorces. It's given the opportunity for people to connect with old flames. People you haven't seen 20, 30 years suddenly show up. Hi! I haven't seen you in 20 years. What are you doing? And immediately the old bonds from a long time ago get flamed back up. And it's like, oh, hey, hey, let's go have lunch. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard of adults personally choosing to do that, connecting with an old flame and oh, just innocently going to have lunch one-on-one just to catch up on old times. Oftentimes, there's been a divorce or multiple divorces in the background of this other person. 
and they're just searching for people to connect with. And they've got lots of time to focus on this relationship and the heart is stolen away. Question, does your spouse have complete and unfettered access to your device? Can they pick it up at any time and read anything that's on it? If not, I would encourage you to make that a policy in your home. Does your spouse have complete and unfettered access to all your email accounts? at all times without having to ask your permission. If that's not true, I would encourage you from this day forward to make it so. And you go, but wait, I have personal things. Not if you're one flesh, you don't. To finish, if you have been touched by anything that I've shared, by any of the stories or any of the scriptures, if you're guilty in any way of any of the things that we've talked about, if you found in hearing this today that there's some part of your heart that's captured by this, what do you do? The first thing is repent. Now that's a harsh word, isn't it? That gets caricatured often about, repent! But you know that harsh repent is only for those who harden their neck. All of us who are in Christ live a repentant life every day. It's like finding yourself with muck on your hands. What are you going to do? I'm going to go wash my hands. If you find yourself with a sin, repent. And be cleansed. Reprioritize. How much of your time is spent with your device? Does it come in your bedroom? Does it go to the bathroom with you? Do you text with it in the car? Is it with you at all times? Another confession on my part, because my phone has a browser in it, I often would wake up, probably because we've got young children. They're up and down a lot at night and things. And I would wake up and lay abed awake. And rather than recite scripture in my mind or pray, I would reach for my phone and go see what's on the news or what's in a blog or something like that. Was that a good use of that technology? So you need to reprioritize. What is going to get your attention? Do you need to be plugged in 24-7? Does this need to go with you on vacation? Can you spend an hour? This is so hilarious to me. Um, Schmidt, who is the executive director of Google, was speaking to the graduating class of Stanford University just this past year. And at one point, he broke out and said, you young people need to put your phones off for an hour a day and talk to people. 
And he's part of one of the biggest internet conglomerates in the world. And what he's seeing is that this hyper attention to our devices is eroding our capacity to maintain relationship and is actually hurting us rather than helping us. And the last thing to do is redeem. Redeem the time that you have with your family rather than going off in your bubbles and engaging in your own private music, your own private videos, your own private activities. Find things you can do together. Find things you can do with your neighbors. Engage with people who you don't like or who are uncomfortable for you. Oh, no, don't say that. Why? Because it's through that interaction the Lord increases your character and increases your witness and changes the world. For you are light of the world. But if you hide your light inside your bubble, nobody can see it. You're the salt of the earth. But if you're not going to touch anybody, nothing gets preserved. Now, do I suggest that you take all these phones and walk to the nearest trash can and deposit them? No. No, I don't think we can escape it that easily. But I ask you to redeem it, control it. You use it. Don't let it use you. Scripture says that a a person who controls their tongue is mighty. I would say the same things about your mobile device. If you learn to harness it, to control it, rather than it control you, you are mighty. And you need to be. We're not going to escape it. It's here. But don't let it be the one that ruins your family and wrecks your spirit. My last comment is as parents, your children desire your time, your heart more than anything. If you do not give them your heart, if they do not live in your heart, It's the most destructive thing that can ever happen to them. Do you want an example from Scripture of what it's like? Jesus on the cross. When he was bearing our sin, he was separated from his Father. And it was only then that he cried out, He'd had the flesh whipped off his back and he didn't scream. He'd had nails run through his hands and his feet and didn't ask for mercy. Had people mock him and he prayed for them. But when he lost contact with his father, a cry of anguish came from his soul. That's reality. 
Fathers, turn your hearts to your children. 